Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Critique Podcast, part of a series from the guys at www.crit-iq.com, a provider of critical care education and resources. My name is Shona Mayer. I am a paediatric emergency trainee based in Queensland, and I'll be bringing you podcasts on paediatric critical care topics from the perspective of a trainee. Recently, I spoke with Dr. Kevin McCaffrey, paediatric intensivist at both the Royal and Marta Children's Hospitals in Brisbane, and senior medical advisor for Queensland Health's Patient Safety and Quality Improvement Service, on his work on the Children's Early Warning Tool, or CUTE. I begin by asking Kevin to explain what CUTE actually is. What CUTE is, is it's a suite of tools which we designed for uh, frontline staff, the people who are looking after children at the end of the bed. Uh, and it does a number of different things. It's uh, an observation chart to record the observations that we've always done. But on top of that, it gives often junior staff um, normal reference ranges for age. Uh, it has an escalation and empowerment function to, again, allow often very junior staff to feel that they can escalate and phone for help when required uh, and ties in quite nicely with uh, other training that we do for staff such as graded assertiveness training. Okay and how is it that you've come to be involved in its development? So I guess my involvement started way back in 2004 when I did a year in Melbourne for Children's and worked as part of the MET team in that hospital. I thought it seemed like a no-brainer to take back to uh, my own hospital in Scotland and because we didn't have such a, a rapid response team, we only had a cardiac team for when the pulse stopped. And at the time when I went back to Glasgow, uh, there was some interest in developing an early warning scoring tool based on a Scottish adult early warning tool. So I became the clinician involved in developing that tool. As it happened, I spent uh, a little bit of time as a consultant in Glasgow and then a job came up in Brisbane and where would you rather be? So once I knew I was coming here, I stopped uh, working on the Scottish tool. But soon after arriving in Brisbane, we had a child unfortunately die and I was part of a root cause analysis. And looking at the child's observations, it became very clear very quickly that an early warning tool of some description would have allowed much earlier detection and possibly have prevented this child's arrest and death. Right. And so what is the difference between an early warning tool such as CUTE and, for example, the MET or MERT systems that many of us may be more familiar with? When you think about recognising either the deteriorating patient or the patient who has a critical illness, yep. uh, there are a number of different ways that you can escalate uh, support for that patient and get uh, senior staff to the bedside quickly. Mm -hmm. So MET criteria are simple single trigger criteria to call for help. So it may be extreme tachycardia or apnea or 
seizure, a single event or a single criteria, right. which is so abnormal that the staff are uh, required to call for assistance and a senior team will arrive. Uh, and that's what um, underpins medical emergency team systems in most hospitals. There's uh, a subtle variation of uh, calling criteria where rather than a single trigger being breached to initiate a call, you add up physiological abnormalities. Mm -hmm. So you might have a score for uh, respiratory distress for mild, moderate or severe, and you add that to the score that you get for how abnormal the respiratory rate is and whether or not they're in a lot of oxygen and what that does to their SATs. So by adding up scores on a number of different physiological variables, you can also reach an overall score, which might call a team, even though perhaps the single trigger hasn't been breached. Let's say your trigger is a heart rate of 60. The patient might have a heart rate of 50, but be in a lot of oxygen and working hard with a tachycardia, and that would be enough mm -hmm. to lift the child up without breaching a single trigger system. Mm -hmm. So I guess um, the children's early warning tool is a tool that uses... Uh, uh, multiple, um, it, it's an additive score, mm -hmm. whereas uh, other tools such as MET criteria in Melbourne, our old MET criteria in this hospital, uh, the paediatric between the flags in Sydney and in, in, in New South Wales, they are single trigger systems. Mm -hmm. Although within the children's early warning tool, within CUTE, there are single triggers which are highlighted in purple. So if your respiratory rate is less than 5 mm -hmm. or 16, you don't need to do the rest of the odds and add uh, observations and add up a score. You just call the team because that's very far from normal. And presumably the, um, the parameters for these scores or criteria are age-related? There are. Because of the big range of normal in inverted commas uh, in children, we need a number of different charts because a respiratory rate for a six-month-old and a six-year-old and a 16-year-old mm -hmm. are likely to be substantially different. So we have four ages of chart. We have a chart for the under ones. We have a chart for the one to four age group. We have a chart for five to 11 years and a chart for 12 plus years. Mm -hmm. And what's the evidence behind where the cutoffs have been placed for these triggers? Uh, being completely honest about it, we just made them up, okay. which is what everyone else has done yeah. uh, when designing either single trigger systems or cumulative scoring systems such mm -hmm. as CUTE. Uh, when you look at the literature on what normal reference ranges for children are, the evidence is really poor. If you look at textbooks, uh, different textbooks quote different normal reference ranges, which... Um, don't significantly overlap and which don't have much evidence base to support them. When you look at the, at the published literature, uh, probably the best two papers are a paper by Wallace in Archives of Pediatrics, two, uh, 2005, and uh, a more recent paper by Susanna Fleming, published again in Archives last year. <clears throat> the trouble with both of those papers, and for everything else that's really been published in this field, is that they go to schools and they do heart rates and blood pressures. Uh, and when you're in hospital, you know, using a school heart rate or blood pressure really isn't that useful 
um, because what is good for you to be at school is quite different when you're in hospital. And really, you're only in hospital because you're not fit to go to school mm-hmm. that day. So it's, it might tell you when your patient is not normal, but it doesn't tell you whether they're going to live or die necessarily. So it's, 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 it's difficult to have a good evidence base for designing tools. I understand, however, that you're now much better placed to know what the distribution of heart rates, blood pressures and respiratory rates are for the paediatric inpatient population. What we have done when we were evaluating and validating acute is we have looked at hospitalised children and looked at a lot of many thousand observations and we have sent out charts now for hospitalised Queensland children. So uh, I have a chart for 1 to 16 plus years old with uh, in the order of 21,000 respiratory rates on it. So we now know where the median is for hospitalised patients and the 75th and 90th and 95th centiles, 25th, 10th, 5th centiles. So if you're outside of those, then... For a hospitalised patient, you're now quite quite abnormal. So we're now able to start putting science behind hospital calling criteria, but at the present time, in, in the published literature, it doesn't exist. So watch out for a paper later on this year. Hmm. Um, so are you just referring to patients hospitalised within tertiary centres here, or is this applicable to a population of paediatric inpatients within any institution? Absolutely. This is a really good question because... When you look at what there is published about uh, scoring systems and early warning uh, trigger tools, it's almost all tertiary or large hospital based. And we were keen to do something different in Queensland because we recognise that um, most of the sick children in Queensland don't come to tertiary hospitals. And when we did our prospective trial, which uh, involved uh, over 1,800 children in hospital, we had five regional and rural hospitals. We had three wards within tertiary children's hospital. And we had four rural sites, at least one of which didn't have a resident doctor. So we have tried within uh, validating this tool in Queensland to cover all of the places where we actually do look after sick children. So could you just run me through the the, the steps that you've taken to, to get where you are uh, right now? So there was a recent review of uh, paediatric scoring tools, uh, a review of clinical trials, which was published, uh, I believe, two years ago now, which concluded of the nine tools which had been evaluated and published on, uh, the evidence to support their use was really pretty rubbish. Validation had been poor. And again, we were keen to not put a tool out that didn't work. So we undertook a retrospective review of hospitalised patients, um, tertiary hospital patients, um, prior to putting the tool out uh, and using it on real children. We did a prospective trial, which was uh, over 1,800 children involved. We looked at root cause analysis. So for all the critical critical events happening within Queensland in the years 2007 to 2010, we looked at all the, the cases where 
a child had been in hospital and had observations done, and in every case the children's early warning tool picked the adverse event before uh, before they were picked clinically. We also looked at children referred to Retrieval Services Queensland to really benchmark what types of patients were being referred and how acutely sick they were as much as anything so that when we rolled the tool out across Queensland we could repeat the audit and look to see that children were less children were being referred too early and less children were being referred far too late really to judge how well we had rolled the tool out through Queensland. And so what were the what were the outcomes that you were looking at? Are we talking mortality here or uh, unplanned ICU admission? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. It's a very important question. The trouble in paediatrics is it's actually surprisingly hard to nail down outcomes. What do you, what do you mean by that? The end points that you use to decide how people do are much more difficult in children than in adults. Children almost never die. So to use death as an, a hard endpoint is something that we can't do. So we often use unplanned intensive care admission. Uh, and that's what we have done when validating acute and comparing acute to other tools. The trouble with intensive care admission is, to a certain extent, it depends how busy we are. If the intensive care uh, in the tertiary hospital is very busy, we'll often keep children on the wards who we would otherwise choose to admit but simply can't. And the converse is also true. If somebody phones me more than maybe twice and I have to drag myself up the stairs to see them and we're quiet, I'll just admit the child just because it's easier. And therefore that muddies using intensive care admission as a good hard end point. Um, so when we're looking at PICU admissions, at the moment it's probably too early to have a good handle on whether you're increasing or decreasing admissions. Uh, when we looked at uh, a similar tool, the Forerunner to CUTE, which was the tool I worked on in Scotland, which was called SUSE. When we looked at uh, the use of that tool in Glasgow and Great Ormond Street, anecdotally it looked like we were decreasing ICU admissions. Uh, when you look at other published material like the papers by Jim Tibbles from Melbourne on their MET criteria, they found that while they statistically decreased death and decreased unexpected cardiac arrests, they substantially increased intensive care admissions. Uh, I would hypothesise that if you use a single trigger system like the MET criteria, you have to set your triggers so far away from normal uh, heart rates of 180, let's say, for certain ages of children. Uh, you have to set each trigger so far away from normal that the child has to get good and sick before they can meet the single triggers. And by the time they do that, all you can really do is put them in intensive care. Whereas if you have a trend to worsening uh, respiratory distress and the respiratory rate's going up and they're getting tachycardic and they're creeping up in their oxygen, uh, potentially, because you're looking at more things, you can capture that patient earlier as a patient of interest. And if you intervene earlier, perhaps you can stop them getting ill enough to meet your single trigger scoring and therefore you can manage them in the ward, keep them safe and not have to admit them to the intensive care unit. That's my hypothesis for why 
intensive care admissions seem to be lower in a cumulative scoring system, but at the present time we don't have data to back that up uh, for the children's early warning tool. And so hopefully a decrease in unexpected ICU admissions, but time will tell. And mortality, have you found or have you been finding any difference in, in mortality rates? In terms of mortality, I would hope that we would decrease mortality. Certainly the tool detects pretty much everybody who has deteriorated and subsequently died in Queensland in the last five years. Um, and even because death is very rare, hopefully just because you spot the sicker patients and give them what they need at an earlier stage, I'm rather hoping that we'll shorten hospital stay and improve patients' quality of care. Maybe they were never going to die, but if they were sore and got their pain relief faster because they triggered the tool, then I think that's actually a very important thing. Well, that's certainly a, a practical and helpful use of the tool. Um, I suppose, though, that you, you, you can't pick everyone. Um, there are certain conditions where you just don't get any warning, do you? I guess it's important to understand the limitations of the tool. Uh, all tools have limitations. Acute uh, has substantial limitations. You have to have a disease which gives you physiological abnormality in the observations that we commonly measure for the acute tool to be able to pick you up. So, for example, if you have worsening asthma with tachycardia and tachypnea and worker breathing and oxygen requirement, the tool is going to pick you. If you have acute renal failure with a potassium of 10, you may have complete physiological normality when you look at your observations, and the tool isn't going to pick you prior to your cardiac arrest. Uh, so there are diseases where you can pick them. An asthmatic who suddenly blows a pneumothorax is likely to very rapidly change their state and the tool won't help you. However, when you look at children who die, and this includes children who get very sick in the oncology ward, they are physiologically very abnormal for a long time, often before they are picked to need escalation of care to, for example, the intensive care unit or fluid bolus or increasing therapy, depending on what the disease is. So while some children will deteriorate rapidly and won't flag, uh, the majority of children who ultimately have an adverse event, such as death or such as intensive care admission, you can pick them, depending on the disease, well in advance. And what kind of conditions are you finding this particularly helpful in? Looking at children who go to a ward and then go to intensive care and comparing them to children with the same diagnosis who stay on the ward and don't go to intensive care, we can pick bronchiolytics who will need to go to intensive care on admission to hospital when the median time when they were actually picked by clinical staff was 25 hours after admission. Uh, exactly the same is true for uh, lower respiratory tract infections, pneumonias and pneumonitis, median time to pick them clinically, 25 hours, uh, time that they become statistically different, around about 6 to 9 hours after admission. So we can pick patients very substantially faster, depending on the diagnosis, than they are picked clinically. 
Asthmatics who go to intensive care don't last as long, so generally they're intensive, in intensive care within six to nine hours after admission, and we can pick those patients statistically as being different from other asthmatics on admission to hospital, so the lag time is shorter, but we can still do faster than they are currently being picked. That has all sorts of implications as to how we are currently managing these, these conditions. Um, I, I just want to go back a couple of steps and uh, we, we briefly touched on MET systems and some of the other systems that are out there earlier, but could you just explain a bit more what the difference is between CUTE and some of the other tools used elsewhere and in other states to identify or pick the deteriorating paediatric patient? So there are a number of different tools which are available for children, all trying to do the same job, identify sick patients and get senior help to the bedside quickly. So Merck criteria in this hospital historically, and now CUTE, in New South Wales they have a tool called Paediatric Between the Flags, ACT have Paediatric Compass, Melbourne and many other centres use MET criteria from the Melbourne Children's Hospital. And basically, in the last five years, we've all been madly developing our own tools and then we go to conferences and eye each other up like big slithering dogs and think, mm, is my tool better than yours? Is my tool going to eat yours? And we've all been doing this for probably five years. Some tools, as I've said, are single trigger systems where you just have to breach a respiratory parameter or a heart rate parameter or have a seizure or do something else and a team comes to your bedside. Other tools will add you know, heart rates, respiratory rates to what have you to de derive a score to do your triggering. But people say, well, what's the best? And we've had a sort of slightly polite gentleman's agreement in public uh, in, in the years up till now. Because nobody had particular data to discuss, we would generally concede that there was no data to prove that any one system was better than another. To my mind, and the reason I designed CUTE as a cumulative scoring system and the original cumulative scoring system for Australasia, is that it makes more sense to look at more pieces of the jigsaw. If you want to see an overall picture, you need to put pieces together, and the more pieces you have of the jigsaw, the more likely you are to see what the picture shows. Uh, however, looking at a number of diagnoses, and I look at bronchiolytics a lot because they're a big population of children who come to hospital with us enough of an intensive care population to be able to do sensitivity and specificity measurements. And when you do sensitivities and specificities looking at children's early warning tool, Queensland, MET criteria, Melbourne, paediatric between the flags, New South Wales, paediatric compass from the ACT, uh, the children's early warning tool outperforms all the other tools in terms of sensitivity and specificity, and we're now drawing rock curves to show the same thing, which sort of backs up what seems to make sense anyway, but uh, we're now actually able to statistically improve that we outperform the other tools. However, when, when I go back to talking about knowing what hospitalised respi patients' respiratory rates and heart rates show, actually, Q is not set up 
as well as it could be. So what we will do is we will adjust our scoring based on what we found our population to really look like, and we'll repeat the sensitivity and specificity measurements, recalculate them all, and let's say it's only another quarter of a million data points to go through, so <laughs> um, it, it'll, it'll take me a weekend, maybe. Good times ahead. Um, and we'll compare, and we can only improve sensitivity and specificity. The other interesting thing that I'm doing just now is looking at children who trigger once. Now, children can have fever and tachycardia and be unsettled, and if the obs are done at that time, they can be spuriously high and not reflect where the children has the, the child has run in the hours before and the hours after. But when you look at children who trigger the tool twice, two hours apart, that if, if you take that as your cutoff, that significantly improves sensitivity and specificity. Children who trigger three times in a row, again, that becomes much better at picking out patients who are really in trouble from patients who are triggering the tool but not likely to have a serious adverse event. Uh, we're still working on where the right triggers should be to attract attention. But in many ways we're fooling ourselves with bits of paper. As I've said, we all used to snarl at each other uh, across conferences uh, with our own separate bits of paper. But in many ways things have moved on and we have been fooling ourselves. Different diseases behave in different ways depending on observations. Uh, and the right tool to pick the deteriorating patient needs to be disease specific. Looking at the acute scores over time of bronchiolitics are different from asthmatics, are different from low respiratory tract infections, are different from children who ultimately end up with a systemic inflammatory response. And I believe that modelling different diseases over time and putting the system onto a computer where you enter the age of the patient and your working diagnosis will be able to optimise cutoffs and triggers for that disease and that age of patient and make it far more sensitive and specific. Pretty interesting uh, stuff for, for possible future practice. Um, again, just a step back again. Once the patient has deteriorated to the extent that they are flagged as needing further assessment or intervention, what happens then? Uh, in this system, are we talking about the activation of an ICU or ED staffed MET team? There are a number of different responses. Uh, traditionally, when a patient has deteriorated, the most junior doctors for the team would see and assess the patient, escalate it to the next most junior doctor in the same team, who would escalate it to the next most junior doctor, who would might ultimately get to the consultant for that team. It was very hard to quickly move across to different teams, for example, a different specialty or an intensive care, until you had traversed the, the hierarchy of your own team. And this delayed many children and adults from having timely, uh, significant intervention. With CUTE, we wished to have m more of a response than simply a medical emergency team because it seems crazy that a team look after a patient, a patient breaches arbitrary criteria and then a bunch of strangers come in and assume care. It seemed reasonable 
that patients flagged up to the treating team in a timely manner to allow the treating team to escalate therapy and assess and really retain control of the patient. And ideally, it would be very nice if strangers didn't have to come in and intervene on a patient because earlier recognition and intervention allowed teams to manage their own patients and not, uh, or, or rarely, to have a patient who required to go to intensive care. Mm -hmm. And I sound like I'm talking myself out of a job. <laughs> but, but having treating teams retain control of the patients for as long as is reasonable and safe seems like a great... I, I suppose this would go towards addressing the potential for skewed distribution of workload towards the uh, critical care teams that can arise with systems such as this. Uh, again, that raises an interesting point. Uh, depending on how you construct your tool and where you put your cutoffs, you can generate an awful lot of work for any team. And I understand from my colleagues in New South Wales that because they have a single trigger system that flags a lot of patients, their med team is very busy and sees an awful lot of patients. And that workload can be difficult to manage unless you have budgeted and funded for it and, and expect to do that work. Uh, using the Children's Early Warning Tool gives you a substantially better balance between sensitivity and specificity. When we looked at all hospitalised children in the prospective trial who triggered any kind of medical response, only 17% of children who were thought to be sick enough to be in hospital needed to see a doctor at any point in the hospital state. So 83% didn't trigger the tool. So when you think about that, it's actually a pretty rare patient in hospital that you actually need to go and see. So if you see a child who's scoring again and again and again, I'd go and see them. Mm. Um, they are a very uncommon patient. And particularly, and that's just for ward call, um, for patients who need to see a registrar or a med team, they're, some, they're extraordinarily unusual. And uh, I, I certainly wouldn't uh, ignore that patient. And so your message is for all those ward-based registrars out there, if you're asked to review a patient because the cute told you so, just go and do it. The other big thing that I'd like to flag is modifications. Uh, the tool has the ability to be modified depending on what patients' normal baselines are. So, for example, if your saturations are 80% with cyanotic heart disease when you go to school, when you come into hospital for toenail trimming under anaesthesia and your sats are 80%, you shouldn't have to call a code for that child. So, for certain patients, you can modify the tool to switch off certain parts and not score the patient. I think it's important to do when your patient's baseline normal state is abnormal. So for example, an anorexic that I saw recently who was 12 years old had a heart rate of 35 in the ward, dropping down to 32. Now, what's a safe heart rate for somebody who's 12 with anorexia? I'm not sure, but 30 and less certainly made me very nervous. But it would be important not to call a MET team every time the child is actually walking down the ward with a pulse rate of 35. So the ability to modify is useful. What I believe is dangerous both for patients and staff is to modify 
a chart where a child is changing physiologically so that you don't get called so often. Uh, an example would be a child who had a normal heart, a three-year-old child who had a normal heart rate five days previously when a bone marrow transplant was undertaken, who developed progressive tachycardia and the chart was modified to allow a heart rate higher, uh, up to, sorry, but no higher than 230 beats per minute. If you do that, certainly you get less calls and you get less calls by switching off the tool. But I would suggest the decisions to switch off parts of the tool in a patient who was normal and is now physiologically changing, that that should be a senior decision and should be signed off as such. And I would certainly uh, support um, judicious modification of the tool by senior people as required. But the bottom line is, this tool is simply a radar to identify patients with physiological abnormalities so that you can go and see them and assess them. It doesn't replace good clinical assessment, uh, and nobody would dream of suggesting that it does more than simply flag up patients who might need further assessment as perhaps. It's a screening tool. I wouldn't base necessarily any further management on what the scores are, but it will allow you to track physiology over time and it will allow you to assess the effect of certain types of intervention on the physiology. For example, giving a fluid bolus, what has that done to the heart rate, what has that done to the blood pressure, what has it done to the capillary refill time. It will allow you to assess if the treatment you've given is enough and whether it was an appropriate treatment. So CUTE is a tool to be used by nursing and junior medical staff to help make better sense of the information gathered by the noting down of regular observations and inform better decisions in the management of paediatric inpatients. Um, messages are pay attention to the overall scores and the trends that a patient is generating and modify the tool at your peril. It's the best validated tool that we have currently in Australia and probably around the world. It certainly performs better than other tools in terms of sensitivity and specificity at this time. It was designed to empower and support junior staff um, and is fundamentally a good tool but has limitations. It will not pick every patient and even if it does pick certain types of patients, it only picks them for further assessment and examination and it doesn't necessarily tell you that this patient requires transfer or treatment C, B and C. So there we have it. Thank you very much Dr Kevin McCaffrey for your time in helping us understand the importance in systems such as the children's early warning tool uh, in recognising the deteriorating paediatric patient and hopefully leading us to avoid the potential adverse consequences of such a situation. If you enjoyed today's podcasts, similar podcasts, podcasts and other valuable resources can be found at www.crit-iq.com or downloaded via iTunes. If you have any feedback, comments or suggestions for further topics and discussions, please let us know via the website www.crit-iq.com.